Thank you for listening to Ivy Podcast, where we feature weekly leadership conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Now, here is your host, Fred Obiero. Hello, and welcome to the Ivy Podcast. My guest today is Margaret Meloni, owner of PMstudent.com, where she provides online training to project managers. Hey, Margaret, hopefully I, I pronounced your name correctly. Oh, Fred, beautifully. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Awesome. Before we start this episode, I have one small request to our listeners. As we continue to grow the Ivy Podcast, we would appreciate if you would take just a minute of your time to leave us a review on the show because reviews make a huge difference to podcast channels like ours. Now, time for the episode with Margaret. So Margaret, before we get started, I was looking at your website uh, this morning and it says, this is how they describe you. It says, Margaret is a dynamic teacher who uses her real life lessons learned combined with inspiration, common sense, and a dash of humor to create students who successfully navigate the human side of the project world. One thing I, I want to know is who, who put together your bio because I need to connect with them and have them write mine. <laughs> oh my gosh, Fred. You know what? That's a great question. I might have, and this is shocking because I usually need help too. I think I wrote that myself and I've been using it for a while and I hang on to it because I usually need help because I do think for any of us, it's always good to get someone else to describe you, whether it's right. a resume or a bio or something, because we generally don't do ourselves credit. But I, 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 like I said, I've been using it for so long, but I think I might've done that myself. I bet you I got coached though. Like I bet you I was writing it for someone and they're like, okay, that's dull. I'm, I gotta tell I'm you, it's sure wonderful. that there were several, I'm sure there were several ver versions of it. Absolutely. It's wonderful. I like where you talk about common sense and a dash of humor because project management doesn't have to be boring. The way you describe yourself doesn't have to be boring. And, and you bring that up. And I think, I think they did a wonderful job. If you did that, props to you because it's a wonderful <laughs> way to put, put together a bio. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, but it caught my Thank eye. You. Thank you. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, project management does not have to be boring. And I, and I think that's what I was trying to convey is, you know, I mean, I can't promise I'm 100% amazingly interesting all the time, but I don't want people falling asleep in class. Absolutely. You know, and I don't want to be the reason. They and fall we don't asleep. want them falling asleep when they listen to this episode. That's right. That's right. Awake, everybody. Be awake. Listen to us. Right. Actually, that's a perfect segue. So for our listeners who may not know you, tell us about yourself and your professional background. Okay, great. Well, I started out many, 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 and that's enough minis, years ago in IT. I was a mainframe computer programmer. Yay. Mainframe still lives. Um, and it was, it's funny but I think it's a good lesson to all of us. I really wanted to be in leadership. And there was part of me, so a little bit of ego going on here, that was walking around thinking like, I should be the boss. I don't know why I'm not the boss. Uh -huh. um, and that's, that's what I was thinking. But then I just felt like nobody was seeing that I should be the boss. And one day I decided that I was gonna just go back to my cubicle and I was just gonna be me and my computer until I retired or died, you know, whichever came first. And ironically, a couple of days after that, somebody called me about a job and the job went like this. You're not going to be a programmer anymore. You're not really going to be a technical lead. You're going to get this group of people to complete this bundle of work by a certain time. And your job is to facilitate them through the process so that they don't get lost or lose track. Hmm. 
well, turns out that was project management. And, but and I didn't that's know. That's how they described the job. That's how they described the job, too. They didn't say project manager. And I think it's just because that the company that was hiring at that time didn't use the term project manager, but it was project management, Fred, absolutely. And that's how I, I fell into it. I call myself an accidental project manager. Uh-huh. That's wonderful. A lot of people that are project managers today that I speak with, myself included, um, did not set out as project managers. I was not accidental. Mine was trending towards that direction, but a lot of people basically describe it the same way you do, which is they were doing something totally unrelated and be it through happenstance or just a random coincidence, they ended up as project managers, not in title, eventually in title, but that's just how people, people set it out. And it's good to have someone like you here who can you know, talk about that, talk about how that has changed you from where you were working as a programmer to how you see things now from the perspective of a project manager, especially in a changing world. And we'll cover some of those as the episode goes on. Great. So let's talk about pmstudent.com. What distinguishes it from the other project management training courses that are available online? Because when I was looking at it, one thing that I noticed is that you strive to provide knowledge and skills that can be implemented right now, which is very different. You don't normally see that. A lot of training courses out there, and I may be stealing from what you were going to say here, is a lot of them are geared towards passing a PMP exam. So that's not something that you can use today. But tell us more about that. That's okay. I don't feel like you're stealing from anything I wanted to say. I feel like you're helping me focus, Fred. So that is perfect. You know, one of the things, so and I know that I teach in different programs, right? And so the PM student just happens to be where I offer things on my own. And what I think of when I think of somebody who comes to PM student, they are newer, perhaps to project management, and they're looking for help. And they're in a scenario where maybe they work for someone, some organization or place that isn't investing in training. And so they don't have the support to go to a big training and they're trying to do this job and they want some assistance Mm -hmm. and possibly they don't have, again, because they're not going to a corporate sponsored class and they maybe don't have a corporate reimbursement it needs to be affordable. And so PM student is trying to bring all those things together, which is like, where can you go get something where you're going to get some, you could almost call it like spot training. Like, where am I going to learn how to do something quickly? Cause I need to know how to do it now. Cause my boss wanted me to do it yesterday, but all the, by the way, my boss isn't going to help me. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of what I picture when I think of PM student. So a uh, follow-up to that. Why do you think that is? And this is just, I just want to understand your viewpoint. Do you think the reason that they come to you is because they're afraid of asking questions or not looking like they know what they're talking about and they already have the job? Could that be one reason? Yeah, I do think that there is some truth there. I think that some people are coming because they're being asked to do something and they're not getting help. I I envision, you know, this would be a great, great opportunity for me to survey my group. I envision that some people find me through other people, like through our conversation or conversations uh-huh. I've had with other people. But then I also think maybe people find me because they're searching for help with project management. Right. Definitely. Right. Yeah, because I, I see that a lot. And people sometimes come and ask me questions, even on LinkedIn. They just ask me random questions about a, a topic that they're dealing with at work. And one of the things that comes to my mind is I, I wonder if they don't have either a mentor 
or some some structure, even if it's within the PMO, where they can leverage help from other people that may be experienced or may have um, a better way of explaining to them what you know how to overcome a challenge that they're facing. And that's what normally comes to my head is people are normally afraid of looking like they don't know um, the right answer. And to me, one thing I always tell people is don't be afraid. If you don't know, ask because just don't ask too many times the same thing. But but if you don't know, just ask. Don't try to act like you're the hero and know everything. And then, you know, later down the line, you fail. You're right. You're right. And so I think that maybe it comes from people don't feel safe asking. And so here's the place where they can ask and it's reasonable. Right. So in your view as an educator on project management principles, how has project management changed over the last decade? Are there concepts that were widely used um, several years ago that don't apply anymore? I think that there has been throughout the decade, there has been a battle between traditional waterfall method and agile. And I think that now hopefully people are starting to, both camps I think are getting along better. And so what I am seeing, which I think is really good is an acknowledgement that maybe Waterfall isn't the best way. Also, interestingly enough, maybe agile isn't 100% the best way. And so I recently found out that there's a there's you know there's the agile manifesto, but then I recently read that there's a hybrid manifesto. And so if I think if we can really be open to the best way is the way that works for our culture, our industry, our people, then that is the way and maybe you know not feel so much like we have to tell people like, no, you must do it this certain way. So I'm seeing more of open recognition of other ways to manage projects and that other ways to manage projects aren't a threat to project management because I do feel like some of this early on fighting, if you will, is just silly turf wars yeah. because really project management should be about supporting the successful completion of projects. Absolutely. And and the hybrid thing that you just alluded to, it's something that's been coming on probably the last two, three years, um, if, if I'm not wrong. And I know it's mainly emanating from the conflict that arose between, like you said, traditional versus agile and people being gung-ho on this is how this project is going to be run. I think you can take properties from both and put them together and still successfully deliver a project. And, and that's one of the reasons why um, we see things like the like the hybrid manifesto. I, I don't think I've read that before, but I have seen projects where you know it's a hybrid environment and they use principles from both sides to make sure that the project is successful. Yes, I mean there you go. Like so, just to elaborate a little bit, for example, agile doesn't mean you don't plan. And I think some people think like, oh, good, we can get rid of all that planning. No, you plan. I mean, you don't just thrash around until you reach the finish line. In fact, I would suggest sometimes that to really run successful iterations, your planning needs to be tighter because you really need to know what you're trying to accomplish in these shorter periods of time. So you can't be thrashing around, but you know, that's just, that's just my perspective. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about COVID. Um, the pandemic has led to distributed teams working remotely from different parts of the world. What impact do you see this having on stakeholder management with the challenges posed by not being able to have co-located teams? Well, okay, let's acknowledge that many people are really missing being around people and that definitely is difficult. We definitely need human interaction. Uh That being said, 
I think that what we've learned through this difficult and it definitely difficult time is that we have amazing ways to persevere and to keep in touch and to keep that connection. And so in a way, I think there's a more of a benefit to stakeholder management than a detriment because now we are so much more, I think consistently across corporate cultures, we have become so much more open mm -hmm. to including people and being more global. And I think, you know, the globalization was coming anyway, but right. now there's like this acknowledgement, like, oh, right. I can talk to Switzerland now. We just find the right time of day to do it. Yes, I can be on with my team in India. We just take turns. One day I do it at 6 a.m. One day I do it at 6 p.m. So I think it's really opened the doors to get, I'll say, better stakeholder participation. That's wonderful and in a very unique way to look at it because a lot of times when I ask the same question, the responses that I get are more from the negative impacts of you know, having distributed teams you know, working from different parts of the world. People mainly focus on the things that don't work well. You took a different approach there. You just talked about actually this has a better impact because now you can work with teams that are, you know, on the other side of, 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 um, of the planet. Yes. One thing I want to ask you here is what strategies can you share with our listeners on how they can effectively manage their stakeholders in a remote team setting? And like I said, a lot of people look at the negatives. So you said it go in the positive direction. I just want to keep building up on that mainly yes. because I've seen stakeholders, I've seen clients, I've seen people that didn't want to have their employees working remotely. This is pre-COVID because mm -hmm. they feel like productivity was going to be, you know, at, at an all-time low. People are going to be distracted, but it's been the opposite. So what are some of the success factors that you can attribute to why this is actually working out for a lot of companies? Well, that's true, right? I think that many organizations have really seen surprise or to them surprising uh, impacts to their productivity and that things have, I mean, I think that's something we do as humans is we, we complain a lot about change a lot. We complain a lot about change. It's just human but, nature. Yeah, it's our nature. I don't know why. It's, it, I like to say that we are so funny because we are around as a species because we have been adapting and changing since we appeared, but right. that we still, we still, we haven't gotten over the complaining part about it, but that we're really very um, flexible as critters. And, you know, so tying this back, so to uh, stakeholder management, let's see, I think there's three things for us to consider. It's trust in the relationship. Uh -huh. It's flexibility. And it's, I'm going to say, I'll use the word courtesy. And what that means is that acknowledgement, you know, like you and I, we have a little bit of a, a time difference, not certainly like the one you and I are talking about, but, but right. we have a time difference. You and I have about three hours. And so that is about the trust. You know, you trusted that, you know, us, you picked a certain time that would work both of us during the, during what's our regular day. And you work very courteous about it. Right. Yeah. I didn't schedule it for 6am uh, Pacific time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I, I used to work with someone who had uh, some stakeholders on the East Coast, and they insisted on doing that every day. Actually, they liked 8am meetings. So they insisted on having her on a 5am conference call every day. And uh, so, you know, we really want to extend these 
factors. And when we have this, we have this, you know, the trust and, you know, the flexibility and courtesy, we go so far because I know, trust me, and we have to build trust. So we build trust really with the courtesy and the flexibility, with the acknowledgement. I understand that we are, you know, 12 hours apart. Let's find a way to make it work. Let's um, take turns. Let's take turns with, you know, who gets the call during dinner time, so to speak. Uh-huh. Uh, let's learn. This is something I've advocated for years. Let's find out what our stakeholders prefer. Now, if you're 12 hours away from me and you say, well, I wish that you would drop into my office, we've got to get that one off the list because that's not happening right now. Not happening. No. Right. Today. But what, what do you prefer? Do you prefer me to message you through Slack do you want me to just text you? Do you like emails? Because then you can sit at your computer and catch up with them. What do you like? And in what? And I want to learn the best way to communicate with you, right? right? And then when I engage in that, in the way in which you like me to engage with you, you trust me. You trust me. And when I am courteous to you, that builds goodwill in our relationship. And that's what we really need. We need those... Uh, another phrase I've used for years is we want to build more credits than debits, so to speak, uh-huh. so that we have this relationship of professional goodwill when the difficulties come and they will, because difficult things happen in projects, we will be able to handle it together because we're coming from that aspect of, I trust you. I've built a relationship of goodwill with you. Let's take care of this. Yeah. And, and it goes back to, team building. And if you have those elements that you just alluded to, I think any team can be successful, not just remote teams, even the ones that are in the office, those things still apply. But this or the what you just mentioned, and I hope our listeners, you guys better take notes because this will help you overcome any obstacles that will be presented uh, with your team that everybody's working remote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the new project management trends that have taken uh, effect especially over the past 18 months, given how the pandemic changed the workplace environment. For those that are interested in becoming project managers, so we're talking about people that have never been PMs before, what are some of the trends that they need to watch out for to make them successful from day one? I think what they want to really work on is their own. Okay, so technical aspects of project management, yes. Beyond that, what makes you a good, solid project manager and leader, because I think we've learned everything is going to change and things are going to pop up. And um, where is Skype these days, right? But here we are on Zoom and next year we might say, oh, wow, Zoom happened fast. Where's Zoom? And so you want to be careful about tying yourself to specific, you know, softwares and tools and what you want to tie yourself to is what makes you a strong leader what can you take that transfers you as a leader are you an empathetic leader are you more of a leader uh, by process what is it because once you grasp the technical aspects of how to do the job that can become in some ways very functional But what it takes in today's world is the ability to adapt to a situation and to see what people need to be led through a pandemic or 
civil unrest or let's just go back to back in the days when all we worried about were difficult deadlines, right? Uh-huh. And, and people still worry about that today. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're worrying about difficult deadlines while you're seeing too much on the news and, and you're working with anxiety, which one of the core things I really encourage project managers to build is to really work on your human skills, really work on your emotional intelligence, really work on your empathy, take your empathy one step forward into compassion, because those are the things that are traveling with you. And maybe you'll be using um, Primavera and maybe you'll be using Slack or Jira, but maybe you won't be. Right, right. So follow-up question. How has project management training changed from pre-pandemic to the way you conduct your training now? Did you have to refresh your content to make it more relatable to the digital transformation that the world went through during the lockdown and post-pandemic? You know, in some ways, some ways. Now, um, I have had the good fortune to be teaching online courses for so long, like 15 Uh years, seriously, so long I've been teaching online because early on, to be honest, some of my colleagues wouldn't do it. And I still have colleagues who won't do it. But early on, people were like, no, I'm not going to waste my time on that. That'll never take off. Uh-huh. <laughs> and look, look at you now. <laughs> and I, I guess I was able to see that that wouldn't be true because I did come from IT. And I was like, oh, no, there will always be people who are going to want to learn online. And so what I needed to do, though, so pre-pandemic, lots of teaching online. A lot of it was asynchronous. We were not necessarily online together. It would be like there were videos and audios and we, you know, I would answer people's things in discussion forums and that's still very active and viable. Also organizations who wanted to keep their people engaged and give them something took what might've been in the classroom and took it online. And so for me, the question became about how can I, for these people who would have preferred to be together, how can I build the connectivity? How can I create a classroom experience that isn't really a classroom? What are, what are the hallmarks of that classroom experience? How can I bring them to this experience? And, and what's been the feedback that you've gotten from your students um, based on this change? Most of the times they're enjoying it. So uh, something I went through, a hesitancy I went through is that uh, I, it feels, it felt weird to me to be like sitting at my computer uh-huh. while my students were in a breakout room doing something. And, and, I, and I remember like in the classroom, if it was in person, I'd be walking around and interacting with teams and speaking with them. Now in breakout rooms, I can jump in and out, but it feels a little more disruptive. So I had to kind of get over that feeling weird because the benefit for the students was there because it gave them that connectivity of, the interaction with others. And when they came back, then of course they got plenty of interaction with me. So it really became about what can I build into the training to make it even more interactive Uh so that people can practice what we're teaching, which is always a good idea, but again, really get that human connection. That's wonderful. So I have one last question. Um, This is one of my favorite questions. And I always say this because I ask the same question to different guests that I bring on to Ivy podcast, and you're never going to get the same answer on this. So what has helped you to get to where you are and what, what of advice would you give to someone that wants to pursue a career that's similar to yours? Ah, that is a lovely question. Okay. If I look across my career, 
I would say openness to change and willing to let go of the old to accept the new, because there are certainly were times in my career where I went through things that I thought were going to be horrible, like uh-huh. a million years ago when outsourcing was popular and I was in a group that was outsourced. And at first I was so upset and hurt and angry, but that doesn't, one that doesn't serve you as a human being. And also it, it doesn't serve your career if you're walking around angry all the time. So that openness, yeah, let go, let go. If something difficult happened to you in your career, learn to let go of it, take what you can from it and use it to propel yourself forward. Yes. Use that as motivation. Yes. Um, Margaret, I've really enjoyed our discussion today. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it was my honor. I loved our discussion. Thank you so much. And I wish you and all your listeners every success. We'll make sure to include the um, link to your website on the episode notes. So all our listeners that uh, were following along, uh, that's where you'll find everything. So again, thanks a lot, Margaret. Awesome. Thanks, Fred. Take care. Bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ivy Podcast. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.